Okay, we are live. Okay, cool. So, hello everybody. Glory to Jesus Christ. Uh, my name is uh, Anthony Cook, and I am here again today. Uh, just uh, do some do some quick reflection and kind of kind of talk with you today on on our our path in Christ and uh, some of the my more recent reflections. So, unlike some of my other videos, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm getting a little bit of a something or another. Uh, unlike a lot of my other videos, actually, this particular video is just going to be just me reflecting upon uh, the Christian life, the Christian life. And the reason that I really wanted to do this is because I feel like I feel like a lot of times what ends up happening is is that we forget about some of the the most basic elements of the Christian faith and what it really means to be a Christian. You know what I mean? Like we have this tendency of getting wrapped up in this, that, or the other thing, and 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 what this doctrine is, and and, and what I really like to talk about mostly is my reflections on evangelization, right? On evangelization, and the reason being is because you know for several um, for several uh, months now I've I've been engaging in this action of what the church would call evangelization, speaking to people about the faith and, 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 and urging them to come to a true understanding of the gospel, the fullness of that Catholic faith, right? And so what I would like is I would like to talk about that today and my experiences in that and kind of where I feel we are going wrong in our approach. So, uh, so first off, first things first, um, you know, if you haven't liked and subscribed down below, please do so. Um, these, these, uh, you know, we are, this is uh, on our YouTube video, YouTube channel. Uh, we would, uh, we would love for you to go to youtube.com, Christ Our Hope Community, and like and subscribe to us. Um, you can also join us on Locals at, uh, ChristOurHope.Locals.com. Um, I post a few articles on there every now and then. Um, or things that I just find to be of interest just in general. Um, so please consider doing that. Um, and if, if you like to support our work monetarily, uh, you can, um, you know, through locals as well. So anyways, um, so yes. So let's get back to evangelization, right? So what is evangelization? So like people have this concept of evangelization, and I feel like they think that evangelization is like a proselytization, like you go out there and you just basically tell people that what they believe is wrong, right? And that's not evangelization. That's not what it, the process of evangelization, that's not what real evangelization looks like, right? Evangelization is an activity in which one calls a sinner, right, to repentance and conformity to the gospel. And it's, but it's not just a singular activity. It is a process even, like the process of evangelization takes place up until the point in which the person formally enters in to the catechetical, to catechesis, right? That the, the catechumenate. And the, the simple fact is, is that unlike other other people who maybe be like, okay, well, you know, um, we have <clears throat> the people who say, okay, well, you know, at that point, it's no longer called evangelization. Inside of the field of catechetics, we would strongly disagree, right? 
catechetics is only one portion of evangelization. Evangelization is a port is something that takes place over the period really of one's whole life, because it will take your entire life to really convert to the gospel. It's not just something where you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and then you're done, right? That that's not how it works. That's that's unrealistic. That's 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 not what God is is saying that we are 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 to go out and do. When he says in Matthew chapter 28 verses 18, 18 through 20, "Go therefore and baptize the nations in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, making disciples of all nations," right? He's not telling you to to you know, uh, go out there and make them profess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They should profess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's true. That's the beginning of the journey, not the whole journey. And so the journey through towards conversion is so, so very much important because it's not a singular activity. It is an activity that takes place over the life of the Christian. That's the reason why adult faith formation is so important, right? We've always got to keep asking questions about our faith and, and seeking those answers. But this is the other thing um, that, and, and this is really, I would say, even a difference between East and West and the way that we're going to approach that. So, you know, whenever I go and I, I talk to people about the faith, I always, I always get in there and we're sitting there, we're talking about different things. And I'll give you one example of something that I was talking to with a gentleman this past week, actually. So we were actually talking about grace and what grace is, right? And he was talking about grace as the unmerited favor of God. And I said, okay, well, I definitely agree with the assessment of that particular definition. I think that that definition does work, right? But it's, it's, not, it's not the whole definition, right? At the end of the day, in order to speak about grace, you have to... You have to you have to actually experience true grace, not experience grace because someone told you that this is what grace is, right? So, you know, I told him, I said, I said, if you really want to know what grace is, I could tell you what grace is from a lived experience of what grace is. But grace in of itself is not the unmerited favor of God. That tells you nothing about grace. Not, 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 yeah, it tells you nothing about grace. But when you experience grace, as the true divine energies of God working and acting upon you, transforming you into becoming like him, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, to become a partaker of the divine nature, right? And that's something that we're going to hear about in the scriptures this, this week when we talk about the rich young man. So please look forward to my preaching for this Sunday. I will release it um, later on this week. But we hear this concept that there's nothing impossible with God. It, it is impossible for mortal man, men, but all things possible with God, right? So, so this action of theosis, this becoming like God, this divinization, use a term from the Latins, this activity takes place because of grace. And that's not because, uh, because grace is just the unmerited favor of God, right? It's because, it's because well... It's because grace is the divine energies of God living inside of you through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that radiates from the Spirit. It is, it is, the, it is the natural procession from God himself, from his usia, from his essence. And it is a part of his essence. It is part of him. It is him, right? It's not to say that, 
that it is a part, right? We don't want to say that, you know, we would be defying the fact that God is a holy simple, which is a requirement inside of the, the teaching of the church. The divine energies are not a part of God. They are God. Uh, they are the natural procession of God, just as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Son and the Holy Spirit are the personal processions from the Father. That is not to say that they are parts of God, rather, but they, they, are, they are literally the personal processions of the Father. They are God, right? The energies that stem from, that flow from the, the usia of God, the essence of God, is in fact, in reality, God. It is actually God. So grace is not created. Grace is uncreated. Grace is God. It is God himself working. It is, uh, it is his economia, his economy, his divine economy that seeks to work and, and, and move inside of us. Right? The only way that you will ever come to a true understanding of that definition, though, is through prayer. Right? Like, you could sit there and you could talk about that and I could tell you that and you're not gonna you, you may not believe that you may be like okay that sounds crazy you know what I mean but it's not until you experience grace that 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 teaching that understanding becomes real right and then whenever you experience grace and you understand grace then uh, when we start talking about the Gospels in the Gospels right um, and uh, I'm, I'm just gonna I'm, I'm gonna read here from from actually from the from the letter of Saint Paul, right? Um, because again, I got, I was reflecting, I was doing my reflections for the for the uh, <clears throat> this coming weekend uh, preaching, and I wanted to to just talk about and and help you explain this. So listen, so listen to this. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, right? And this is, uh, this is verse, we'll start at verse 9. Okay, we'll start at verse 9. It says, For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now you could, you could, you could, you could translate that to the unmerited favor of God. You could say, oh, by the, by the unmerited favor of God, I am what I am. That's true. Okay. And his grace towards me was not in vain. Okay, his grace towards me was not in vain. His unmerited favor of God towards me was not in vain. Okay, hold on. Okay, we might be able to work with that. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Hold on. So, but the unmerited favor of God which was with me? That doesn't make sense. How does the unmerited favor of God work? How does the unmerited favor of God have work associated with it? How does it produce? Right? And we can go back to all three of these now based off the context of the passage. Okay, well if we say that but by the grace of God, by the unmerited favor of God, I am what I am. Okay, well how does the unmerited favor of God labor? How did the unmerited favor of God produce work, right? How does it work? Well, if it's an unmerited favor of God, is a bestowing of a gift. And so, therefore, what we have to say is, there's got to be more to this definition than just the unmerited favor of God. We have to, therefore, say that, in reality, when I say, but by 
the divine energies of God, I am what I am. And his divine energies towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the divine energies of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. And so when we understand the divine energies dogma, the, the, the teaching of divine energies, we actually are able to understand more perfectly this conception of grace. See, when we talk about divine energies, we're in effect, we're in fact talking about a divine work. Because when you have energy, you have work, right? Like when you look at a motor, right? And it is producing energy, okay? Let's say that it is a, a, a turbine, right? Um, and I know this is an extremely mechanical, uh, an extremely mechanical, you know, uh, example, but just from my own, this is just from my own understanding. Hopefully it'll help you a little bit. So let's say you have a turbine, right? So this turbine, instead of a hydropower plant, okay, right? So this turbine is here. The water is moving through, right? Through this turbine, and this turbine is moving because the water is pushing, right, or is pushing the, the, it's hard to do, isn't it, uh, is, is pushing the turbines. Now, as the turbine moves, it produces energy, right? It makes work, okay? Okay, so divine energies, the divine energies of God symbolizes work, okay? We can, we can understand that from that same analogy, right? The the water moving is is the Holy Spirit moving, right? It's Him moving inside of us. We ourselves, as He moves, as He moves the turbines, right? The turbine. It's really not a very good analogy, but the turbines are basically moving inside of us as well, and it produces the divine energies. Okay, again, not the greatest of analogies, but my point is. And is that the energies of God, okay, produces a much better understanding of this particular verse when we're looking at it. And understanding the concept of energy is what is producing St. Paul to be what he was, to be greater than what he was, right? Those things are important, right? Because at the end of the day, we are trying to understand what the purpose of these things are. We're trying to understand the purpose of grace, right? And that's that's really the key thing. We're trying to we're trying to fathom this great mystery that we, we really cannot fathom, but that the church in her wisdom and by her saints has been able to kind of teach us and to expound upon for us. You know, and, and I think that those things are those things are most the most important, right? Um, just in general. And so we were talking about grace. And I told him, I said, I said, in reality, brother, you know, we can sit here and talk about grace, but until you experience grace, you know, until you experience Christ, I could tell you anything, and you, you, you may or may not believe it. You probably won't, actually, because it's not from your lived experience. You know, what I told him is, is if you're really interested in the faith, the true faith of Jesus Christ, then I would suggest that you fall down upon your knees, you repent unto the Lord, and you pray the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Right? So that is such a, a, a deeper, moving prayer than 
really anything that that we ourselves could could come up with, you know. And at the same time, you know, you, we hear about the Hezekiahs, we hear about all of the church fathers who have done this prayer and who have achieved sanctification because of their activity in praying this prayer, right? And so that's so important because in reality, in reality, what we are really seeking on and seeking for is Christ. When we're trying to understand the teachings of the church and understand the teachings that of the Bible, right? We're seeking Christ. That's who we're seeking. We're trying to understand Christ. And you see that there's nothing wrong with that at all. In fact, it's really it's actually a really good thing that we are seeking Christ and we're, we're trying to make him known and make ourselves known to him. But we have to do it in the right way, you know, because unfortunately, unfortunately, God has worked in so many ways already inside of the, inside of our faith, you know, he's going to point you towards towards those workings, towards those saints or those whatever the case may be to help you and guide you on that path. It's the whole purpose of the saints, right? Or he's going to point you to the scriptures, or he's going to he's going to point you to a host of different areas. You know, the point is though, is that you know, we've got to humble ourselves and recognize that we don't know everything. When I started the path of RCIA so many years ago, it 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 was I was probably the worst student in that whole class because I doubted everything that was said to me, right? And it wasn't until one day I was sitting there in front of the cracker in the beautiful looking tabernacle that or yeah, the beautiful monstrance, I guess that's a, they call it a monstrance, right? that I finally came to an understanding that, hey, guess what? This is actually Christ. And it's not anything that I could see, because in reality, I couldn't see anything. The only thing I saw was this piece of bread, you know, surrounded inside of this beautiful-looking thing. But I sat there for a while, and I remember, I remember that whenever I was sitting there, you know, I remember praying, Lord, I, I don't know. I know that you, Lord, are real, but whether or not this this bread before me is, I'm, I'm not quite sure. And I remember just sitting there. And as I was sitting there, I started to feel the divine presence. It was there. It was present. feel his presence I could feel his love his grace his mercy and that was a feeling or not really a feeling but an experience of God that I had had several years before um, whenever I was in Morocco in a church in Morocco one day maybe I'll, I'll share that that tale but um, for now um, it's not part of our 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 talk today right but I started to feel that exact same peace. And it was a peace that only comes from God. And I knew that God had sent me this peace 
so that I would be able to know that it was him, that he was truly there in that bread. So I had an experience of God because I opened myself up to the truth. And as I opened myself up to the truth, what ended up happening was, is God spoke. So whenever I went back to my RCIA class and I started listening and I started paying attention to what people were saying and what my, 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 my catechist was saying, right? When I started doing that, I started to realize that That God had done this so that I would be humbled. You see, because I thought I knew everything. I thought I knew the faith. Because I was raised in the faith. My grandfather was a preacher. He had an, ex he had an experience of God. He was, we were always taught that he was taught by God. That the Holy Spirit spoke through him. And so, I had... To listen now because God had given me something that I had never received in the past in that Catholic church in that before that Eucharist, right? That this was truly God. Christ, the living God. He who takes away the sins of the world. And so, because of this reasoning, because of this reason, I had to listen. And so... I accepted the faith. Now, the practice of that faith became was very difficult for me. I, I will I will admit. Um, now, this, and and I, I mentioned this in my evangelization. It's okay to show weakness and, and and doubt, especially in in particular practices and devotions of the church, because those devotions and practices are not required by the church. The church is not saying you have to pray a rosary every day. The, the church is not saying that you have to sit in front of the Eucharist in adoration. The church is not saying that you have to sit in front of the icons or pray the Jesus prayer. They're not requiring any of that, actually. The only requirement is, is that you do go to the liturgy. To go to liturgy and experience Christ and worship with the community of God so that you could receive him in your body and that you might be changed through his divine energies into becoming a partaker of the divine nature to be a part of the church's mysterial its mysteries all all seven mysteries that it has and so i had to listen You know, most times the other thing is that whenever I'm talking to people and, and about evangelization, you know, it's very interesting because a lot of times they they bring up things that aren't even required for salvation. Like Mary. Mary. You know, there's very few things that we actually have to believe that are required for salvation and belief in Mariology, right? The, the biggest one is, is that we believe that... Um, that she bore the Christ child, Jesus, who is the Son of God. And because he is the Son of God, that would make her the Mother of God, right? Makes sense. Very logical. You know, those first declarations of Mary within the first um, eight ecumenical councils really settles the, settles the tale, right? 
that she was wholly a virgin, that she bore Christ, um, that she was a faithful disciple of Christ all the days of her life. Um, all these things are very important and very necessary. You know, the Immaculate Conception, um, you know, several of the other things that are, are, are you know, praying, praying, asking saints to pray for you. That's another thing that I always get is, is why do you pray to saints? I don't pray to saints, okay? We don't pray to saints in the Catholic faith, okay? Let's make sure we understand that. We do not pray to saints in the Catholic faith. That doesn't exist. We ask saints to pray for us. There's a difference, okay? There's a difference. See, the, 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 the thing is, is that people want to say that because the body of this particular saint is gone, or rather is in the grave, right? That the spirit does not live with God. That's basically what you're saying. That is to say that I cannot ask my brothers and sisters to pray for me. They also believe that there is a division in the body of Christ. Because they would say that we cannot ask those brothers and sisters in heaven to pray for us. But when you do that, you've now made a division between the body of Christ on earth and the body of Christ in heaven. So which body of Christ are we actually going to be a part of? Huh? That's the big question. Which which body of Christ are we? And why does it that why is it that Christ has two bodies? Does he have two heads too? You know what I mean? Like the the the, the argument is com completely just just straight out bonkers and is is not even a part of the scriptures, right? There is only one head, which is Jesus Christ. There's only one church, right? Which is the body of Christ. That's it. There's not two bodies. Jesus doesn't have a body in heaven and a body on earth. No, he has one body. We are one, right? So when the soul enters into, uh, or rather passes away, we don't say that a, that a, that a soul that is a, a part of God, right, is, is dead, right? That means that it, 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 it it's basically gone to Hades. It does no it's just absent of the presence of God, but rather that it is with God, right? Then therefore, just like the angels, it is a part of the metaphysical realm, the spiritual realm, right? And because it is a part of that metaphysical spiritual realm, okay, we ourselves in our own bodies, can access such things. And because God is glorified in his saints, right? We can ask them to pray for us, right? We can ask them to pray for us. We know so many things about asking uh, the saints and those in the next to pray for us. We know that it works. We know... We know that because, first off, for nearly 2,000 years, the church has had that tradition of teaching. And second off, because we have seen that, uh, that God can work through people. He can work through people. And so, when we're talking about saints, right, in this process of evangelization... We've got to understand, first off, that we're, we're not talking about praying to saints. We're asking saints to pray for us. Whenever I say St. Dominic, 
pray for us. I'm asking St. Dominic to pray for me, right? It's not that I'm saying, it's not that I'm, I'm, I'm worshiping God. Uh, I, am, I am worshiping God, actually. I always worship God, but it's not that I'm worshiping the saint in that somehow, you know, I believe that he has in his own accord the power to do whatever I'm asking to be done. No, no that's, not, that's not even re remotely the case. Rather, it is the belief that in asking this saint to pray for me, right, that he, he who is in God's own divine presence, right, asking God to pray for me, that his prayers for of intercession for me would be heard. <coughs> that these prayers would be heard. It's a very important difference, right? I don't pray to saints. I don't worship saints. I ask saints to pray for me, just as I ask my brothers and sisters on this earth to pray for me. I can ask my brothers and sisters in heaven to pray for me, because we are one body in Christ. We are one body in Christ. And so, <clears throat> that's important. And you know, these are just a few of the questions that I run into <clears throat> throughout the period of my evangelization activity. But here's the thing. Is it necessary to ask saints to pray for us for our, for our salvation? No, it's not. Is it necessary to ask Mary to pray for us? No, it's not. Is it necessary to... So many different things, right? When you come into the Catholic faith, there are two things that you are required to learn, right? Two things that are required to learn. These two things are required for salvation. That's the reason why... You are required to learn them in the RCIA process, right? The first is the symbol of faith, which is also called the creed. And the second is the Lord's Prayer. That is it. The symbol of faith is what we profess as the fundamental doctrines of our faith. There are 12 articles according to the church's teaching that you learn in the RCIA process, right? You learn these things so that you can understand your faith and what is necessary for the salvation of that faith. Now, the church and her wisdom also has several means and devotionals and sacramentals and all sorts of cool things to help you in the living out of those two things. Living out the Our Father and living out that symbol of faith to help walk you through that. The primary means is the sacraments in the Latin, the mysteries in the Greek. The mysteries. These mysteries, right? The mysteries of illumination, which are your baptism, uh, chrismation or confirmation, and the Eucharist, right? These three things are wholly important. And they are the processes of sanctification, they're the processes of sanctification. We are required to participate in the Eucharist and to follow the church. These things are necessary. Right? I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. One holy Catholic and apostolic church. Very important. To believe, therefore, is also 
to some degree to submit. If we believe that the church is a member of the body of Christ and that the Holy Spirit speaks inside of his church or through his church, right? Then the church, when it speaks, is speaking from the head. The head is actually speaking through the church. And so if we follow that line of thought, then therefore what the church issues and decrees, as long as it doesn't go against the fundamental requirements of salvation, right? Those things that we should follow or attempt to follow to the best of our abilities. That's not to say you're going to be able to follow everything perfectly, but that is to say that we're at least going to try. We're at least going to try. So these things are important, and, and I, I just wanted to just kind of talk about that just for a few minutes. So my point is, is that in, in evangelization, what we really have to be doing is, is we really have to have this activity of understanding our faith, right? We have to understand our faith. So where is this going? So starting September 1st, I will be launching a new series, okay, uh, called um, uh, 40 Weeks to Evangelization, right? We are going to be going through the Christ Our Hope Pascha Catechism uh, one week at a time. Um, I am going to actually pull this concept from uh, some, some resources that are actually received off of the um, Eparchia website. And uh, there was this, there's this great uh, reading plan that was devised by... Uh, Daniel Richardson and Father Deacon Daniel Galadza in 2021. Um, so it is a 40-day reading plan, right? Instead of 40 days, we're going to spread it out over 40 weeks. And I'm going to do a catechesis every week on these particular uh, passages so that you are able to come, hopefully, to a better understanding of the faith, right? And a better following of the faith. Um, <clears throat> so we're... I'm not. I'm going to bring in some church fathers into this. I'm going to bring in some deeper theology. Um, the first one is on the anaphora of St. Basil. So you can't get any more theologically deep than that. I will keep it to 45 minutes, I hope. I hope. It is It is going to be a great and under underestimated endeavor, but I am wholly looking forward to it because the, the anaphora of St. Basil is absolutely beautiful. So... Um, anyways, so that is to say, I'm going to be launching this 40-week reading plan. I'd love for you to join me on this 40-week reading plan and 40-week catechesis as we go through step-by-step in through the uh, Christ Our Pascha uh, catechism, right? And it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. I'm, again, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to the to the, to the material that we're going to put out and that I'm going to be putting out um, on this. And I'm just very interested to see how the Holy Spirit kind of works through us. And so I implore you, this is a, from a reading from uh, Metropolitan Andrzej Szeptycki. <clears throat> I want to read you this because I want to show you the importance of this knowledge of the catechism. So this is from an, an address, April 1937. He says, I strongly remind the priest pastors about this great and holy obligation before God to teach catechism. And now I come to you, dear brothers and sisters, to you, fathers of Christian families, to you, Christian mothers, to you, brothers and sisters, members of various church brotherhoods. Help our priests, help me, your bishop, pastor, to spread among the people, but especially among the youth, a knowledge of the holy faith, a knowledge of the catechism. This is the best way to contribute according to your abilities to pastoral work and the church. This is the best way to fulfill in concrete action the Christian commandment to love one's neighbor. And thus you will also show the best and greatest love to your own people. 
And may Almighty God bless you and help you understand the importance of this catechetical teaching, and that you must do everything in order to know the catechism well personally and teach it to your children. So again, I, I hope that this will be a good a good series for us um, for this year uh, for our adult faith formation uh, that I'm going to be putting out on this. Um, I will be putting th this out also on our Christ Our Hope community page, right? And um, I hope that you'll be able to to at least comment on there. I will be following those comments. So if you have any questions about the particular teaching as I lay it out, uh, you can you are more than welcome to lay out to lay out your questions out there, and, and I will get back to them as soon as I am able. Um, so yes. So anyways. Thank you so much for uh, for listening today. Uh, you know my my basic rant of evangelization, uh, but uh, just some things for us to think about in our process of of evangelization as we go out there. And I'd like to just go ahead and end in a prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty Lord Jesus Christ, we call upon you today to look upon us and have mercy upon us. Show us your great love, O Lord, and give us the strength of your Holy Spirit as we go forth to evangelize in your most holy and precious name. O Lord, bless the work of our hands, O Lord, O bless the work of our hands, for by your good and gracious love you have given unto us your most holy Son, Jesus Christ, together with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Okay, and that's all I've got for today. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today on uh, Christ Our Hope podcast. Uh, we hope that you will join us uh, next time, and uh, please uh, look forward to our um, our soon uh, launch of the Christ Our Hope uh, Pascha Catechism 40-week reading plan uh, for our uh, adult faith formation we're going to be offering out this, uh, this, this, this year. So uh, thank you so much, and glory to Jesus Christ.